I want to take just a moment. I'm going to keep you standing for a minute. You'll enjoy it when you get to sit down. Uh, but uh, for the past month or so, it's been uh, quite a ride for uh, Sister Murph and I. Uh, we've been celebrating. Uh, I have. Uh, Sister Murphy has. Uh, our Still our 25th pastoral anniversary year. Been pastoring here for 25 years. And... <clears throat> I'm saying that today because today is actually our official 25th pastoral anniversary. We started here 25 years ago today. Thank the Lord. That's why we're still celebrating. And uh, I have a statement to make. I'm thankful to still be here as pastor after 25 years. And uh, as you all know, we started with 11 or 12 people. And uh, so it's been quite a journey uh, to watch Grace Church grow to where it is today. But uh, there's one person that I want to know that I'm still here. And we just simply, if you want to even call him a person, I don't even call him that. But uh, I want the devil to know that I'm still here. Amen. Thank the Lord. And... uh, I could fill the air with a lot of comment about that statement. And uh, we've had our share of moments, as you can imagine, in the past 25 years where the devil has tried to pound us spiritually and mentally and emotionally in every way to try to get us to to leave and and to go other places or whatever. But uh, God called us here, and until he calls us to leave, we'll be here. So I just wanted to make the statement to the devil this morning that as hard as he's tried... Uh, to get us out of here. It didn't work. And uh, I'm thankful to be here. I'm proud to be here today, buddy. I am proud to have fought through all the things we fought through and to have such a wonderful church like Grace Church. Does anybody love Grace Church here today? What an awesome place. What an awesome place. Thank the Lord. And uh, during our time of vacation a couple of weeks ago, we were gone this past week to camp, youth camp, But I want to thank a wonderful, wonderful ministry team. These four men bring more to the table than what they even uh, may even know. But I love these men, appreciate the ministry team, and they've done an amazing job preaching and teaching and what have you, and I'm very thankful for them. Let's give them some appreciation today. And I'm happy to be preaching here today. It's been a long time since y'all have heard Pastor preach. I don't know how it's going to go. You may be glad today. You may not. We'll let you make that decision when service is over today. But it's an honor and a privilege to be here. I want to call your attention to the book of Nahum today. That is the 34th book in the Bible. Uh, Nahum chapter 3. And I want to begin reading with verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And it sounds like a very negative scripture reading, and it is. But I'm going somewhere with it. Uh, So bear with me through the scripture reading. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of wheels and the prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. The horsemen lift up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses. And there is no no end of their car- corpses. Uh, they stumble upon their corpses. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts, behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness, and the kingdoms thy shame. Very negative scripture reading here today. I want to conclude it, and it's not going to be on the screen, but it's going to go along with what I'm saying here today. The psalmist said, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning. I want to title this, The Path Forward. The Path Forward. Everybody say, thank the Lord for the Word. 
Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. He arrived looking like a character out of a horror movie. He definitely wasn't dressed for success, and pretty would not be a word used in describing him. His skin was bleached a pasty white. His hair was matted, and there was a slight fishy smell about him. And if you were to describe the man that was most likely to reach a city for God, he wouldn't look anything like this guy looked. And something else. This guy arrived on the scene with a chip on his shoulder about the size of a large pizza. He all wanted, all he wanted was to leave this city as fast as he arrived. It was incredible. He arrived in a strange city and started preaching on all the street corners. And his message was simple. It was turn or burn was his message. Well, maybe not in those exact words. What he actually said was, 40 days from now, Nineveh, will be destroyed. Not a very seeker-sensitive message. You would think that perhaps he would have worked a little more on his content, perhaps not used uh, so many threatening words, words that would connect his audience to him and to what he was saying in more a positive light would seem to be the path that he would have taken. Maybe he should have emphasized their good points and their love for God, but he didn't. Maybe it was because he was a little cranky. And if he was cranky, he had a lot of reason to be cranky. His name was Jonah, and we've heard about him before. He was a prophet from Israel, and one day God tapped him on the shoulder and told him to go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach repentance. Well, all of us here today no doubt know the story. Not only did he refuse to go, but he turned and ran in the opposite direction. And you really can't blame him when you know the whole big picture here. But let's consider what God was asking him to do. In what is now called the country of Iraq, in Jonah's day it was called Assyria. And there was a lot of bad blood between Assyria and Israel back then, as much as there's a lot of bad blood between Iraq and Israel today. The city was known as a place of wickedness and immorality, and for whatever reason, God decided that He should at least warn them of His impending wrath, and so He sent Jonah to go preach to them, but Jonah didn't go, at least not at first. Instead, he ran in exactly the opposite direction. He ran to Joppa, where he caught a ship sailing for Tarshish, which we know today is Spain, and it was in the opposite direction of Nineveh, and it was considered to be as far as you could go by the people of Jonah's day. So being that Jonah was running from God, topographically speaking, if that's a word, he ran as far in the opposite direction as he possibly could. God, however, wasn't content to allow his servant to escape that easy. So he caused a storm to almost destroy the ship Jonah was sailing on, and as the storm grew worse, Jonah advised the crew that they needed to throw him overboard, which they did reluctantly, and the storm stopped. So if you remember your Sunday school and Bible story books, then you know all of this. You know how Jonah was swallowed by a giant fish or a whale, probably happened so fast, and it was storming, that perhaps they couldn't see the fish. It happened so quick. 
But we do know according to the Scripture that he spent three days and nights in the fish's belly. And after praying to God and saying that he was sorry, he was spit out on the beach and God spoke to Jonah again. And in Jonah chapter 3 verse 2, he said, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message of judgment that I have given to you. So Jonah probably was thinking by now that my mama didn't raise no fool. I better head on to Nineveh. And he did. And he preached. He did not go and preach willingly. Probably with not as much enthusiasm as God would have wanted. But nonetheless, he went. And a strange thing happened in Nineveh. Everybody listened to his sermon. Everybody say, everybody. Buddy, if you could get people to do that nowadays, it would be heaven on earth. If you could get everybody to listen and obey the sermon. Everybody. That would be an amazing thing. Let me continue. The Bible says that the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least of Nineveh, they all repented. The king himself said in Jonah 3, 8 and 9, that everyone was required to wear sackcloth and ashes. That was their way of showing repentance towards God. Everyone was required to do it, and everyone was required to pray earnestly to God. Everyone must turn from their evil ways, he said, and stop all of their violence, he said. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will have pity on us and hold back His fierce anger from destroying us. And that worked. Isn't it amazing? Listen to Pastor. When people obey God, things start getting better. When you obey God, things work like they should work according to the will of God. Isn't that amazing? Y'all might detect a little bit of facetiousness in my voice. I wish people would understand. If you would obey the Lord, and if you would obey the Word of God's life, summarily would be better for you. But you don't do it. You do what you want to do, and you summarily dismiss what the Word of God says. And when your life is a mess three or four later, you come back to church usually and want the pastor and the church and God and everything to straighten out the mess. If you would obey God from the beginning, you would have the blessing. I could talk a long time about that and uh, hoping in the near future I will. So it worked. Jonah's message worked. The king and Nineveh repented everybody. And the very next verse said in Jonah 3.10, And when God saw that they had put a stop to their evil ways, He had mercy on them and did not carry out the destruction that He had threatened. Don't we like a happy ending to a story? Well, I thought most people did. Maybe you don't. Maybe you like the horrible stuff that goes on in your life. Anyway, well... That was in Jonah's day. I want us to fast forward about 100 years to bring us current with a text that I just read to you in Nahum. It was about 100 years later. The scripture that I read from the the book of Nahum, which again is the 34th book of the Bible, the author of the book is Nahum, and he is otherwise an unknown prophet whose name means comfort. That's about all we know about Nahum. The book was written about a hundred years after Jonah had visited the city of Nineveh and led its people to repentance. So somewhere between 663 B.C. and 609 B.C., Assyria had been defeated in battle by Babylon. So why 
was the small book of Nahum written. Interesting, although the letter is addressed to the city of Nineveh that Jonah had preached there a hundred years prior and had great success, the book was actually written to the people of Judah or the people of God to assure them that evil does not endure forever and that God can respond to the repentant heart in a very positive way. Remember, it had been about 100 years since Jonah had preached repentance and the people had turned away from their evil and followed God. Now again... Fast forward about a hundred years later and listen to how Nahum describes this same city of Nineveh that completely repented of their sin and wickedness a hundred years prior. Nahum 1 verse 11. Who is this king of yours who dares to plot evil against the Lord? And Nahum chapter 3 verse 1. Nineveh is described as a city of murder and lies. And then in Nahum chapter 3 verse 4, one translation says, All this because Nineveh, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty. She taught all to worship her false gods, enchanting people everywhere. Now I've told you that whole story to preach to you a message that I'm titling, The Path Forward. What do you do when you're in Nineveh? And you've repented, you've turned to God, you're living a life pleasing to God, and then all of a sudden you turn away from God, and God is not happy with you at this point. What do you do? This is a message about the path forward. In other words, if you know that there's been relationship between you and God in the past, and it's not that good right now, you don't keep doing things to make it worse. There's a path forward to make it better. So I want to begin this morning after that little bit of a lengthy introduction to introduce to you my first point, and that is that Nineveh had a past. The the small minor prophet Nahum can't be taken in isolation. There was a certain amount of history that Nineveh had had with God and with God's people. It was a good history. When the people of Nineveh repented, and turned away from their evil ways. And bad history, when the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, God took the people captive. This was a bad thing that they had done. I want to stress here today that we all have a past. We all have a past. Sometimes it's a good past, and sometimes it's a bad past. But needless to say, we all have a past. There are things that we are proud of. And there are things in our past we'd rather forget and hope that everyone else has forgotten them as well. It's tough to put the past behind us. And it's way too easy to dig it up. To marvel or regret the things that happened to us yesterday, which may not have seemed so great when they were actually happening. To mull and stew over the slights and hurts, both real and imaginary, that we may have felt in the past. To think about things that were done to us or may not uh, done for us, to, and to think how things may have been different for us if the past had been different. Yes, for all of us here this morning, it's tough to put the past behind us. And when we get into the what-if mode, we know that things had been 
uh, had a, had a, excuse me, we know that if things had been different back then, then things, no doubt, would be better now. As a church, as Grace Church, hear me today, we have a past. Several weekends ago, most of us, most of you gathered with us for our 25th pastoral celebration, and we took a walk down memory lane. We saw and heard the good, the bad, and the ugly about our church past. We've been worshiping together now as a church for some 60 years, and this church has seen many lives changed, and some really amazing things has happened here at Grace Church. In the past 25 years, We've pushed the envelope a little bit. We were one of the first churches in the area to have a website to put words of the songs on a screen, on the wall, on a regular basis, to abandon the use of the hymnal and to restructure our Sunday night service schedule and dismissing Sunday night service. It was exciting to talk about those things. It was exciting to talk about building the White House in Baker and purchasing 19 acres on Blackwater and the purchase of this campus and building the Alexander. Center next door. But along with those great times, there's been some frustrating times and some discouraging times in the life of our church. We've had approximately 5,000 people leave our church for various reasons. Not quite that many, but it sure seems like it sometimes. We've had folks leave because they were looking for a bigger church with more programs. If they would have stayed, we would have been the bigger church with more programs. Go figure. But the one thing about none of us past, our personal past and the past of Grace Church, all have in common is that all of that is in the past. And if God and if anyone ever tells you you can change your past, It's not possible. The one thing about none of us past and our personal past is that it's the past. I'm preaching to to some folks here today, and I know that. And I'm trying to get somebody's attention. If you would just begin with the point I made a little while ago about Nineveh obeying Jonah's message. If I could just get folks to start there and hear and obey, that would be an amazing thing. But if anybody can ever tell you, if anybody ever tells you that nothing is impossible outside of God, tell them to try dribbling a football and changing the past. Lee Iacocca summed it up when he said, Yesterday ended last night. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The people of Nineveh had once served God, but that was yesterday. So I want to preach to you today that as much as we all have a past, we also have a present. Nineveh's past was gone, and Nahum was not writing about the past. Instead, he was writing about the here and now, what the people of Nineveh were doing right at that moment. He was talking about their view of God that day, their behavior that day, their morality that day. It had nothing to do with the past. It had everything to do with today. It had everything to do with the present. It was not enough that their forefathers had repented and turned to God. It was not enough that their parents had repented and turned to God. That wasn't enough. It was incumbent upon them to do the same identical thing as well. It's imperative. Listen to pastor this morning. It's imperative, Grace Church, that we seize the moment, that we seize this moment. Yes, 
there's been a rocky ride in our past 25 years. But I'm not here to dwell on that. I'm not here to mull over that. I'm not here to try to go back and dig all that up. What I want to do today is take a hold of this moment. I want to take a hold of this moment. Everybody in this church over the past year, there's a lot of people in the past six months that have had more on your plate to deal with than you care about. But we're still going to celebrate because we have today. We have right now. We have this moment. We are responsible for what we are doing right now with what we have right now. Somewhere, somehow, in the previous hundred years, the people of the city of Nineveh had forgotten about Jonah and his message. Somehow the judgment of God had lost its urgency and the people had drifted back into their old ways. We don't know how long they walked with God according to God's way after Jonah left. It might have been 24 hours or it might have been 99 years. But that's not relevant anymore because it's the past. What's relevant now is what they're going to do Today. We all have had, we all have a past, and we all have a present. And regardless of what happened yesterday, regardless of how blessed you were, or how hurt you were, It is gone. That's over. It's the past. What you are left with is today. God wants you to serve Him today. There's a story about an old farmer who used to stand up at church every Sunday and testify saying, I'm not making much progress, but I'm firmly established. I've heard testimonies. Similar to that back in my day. One day a couple of young fellas from the youth group were passing the old guy's farm and saw him sitting on his tractor completely bogged down in mud. And one of them yelled, Hey, Brother Smith, you're not making much progress, but you are firmly established. And there's a lot of folks here today that's firmly established in yesterday, but you're not making a whole lot of progress with today. This man had been stuck in the mud for years and didn't know it. We can rest on our laurels and talk about yesterday. We need to look around and see what today is all about and ask ourselves, what would God have me do today? It's easy to say, when I have more time, I will do. And when I have more money, I will give. Or I used to do. Or I used to give. If God requires of us today, then any other time is too late or too early. Obedience is something that needs to be spoken about in the present tense Something we are doing, not something we've done or will do. The church needs to minister today. It's nice to talk to our young folks and children about what happened in the life of our church and the lives we've touched and the people we've introduced to God and the difference we've made. But that was yesterday, and today is today. The question that God wants us to answer is not what are we going to do with today. It's what we're going to do with today. What God is requiring out of us today is can we talk about the people we've invited to church in the past Or can we plan to invite them when things get better at some point in our own personal lives? But what about the people that God wants us to minister to today? The challenge for any church is to stay culturally relevant and not cling to the past too tightly. If we're committed to reaching people in 2018, then we need to meet their needs in 2018. Not 1818, not 1918. Not 1988, but 2018. We need to ask ourselves as a church, what would God have us do today? 
How do we reach the people in our community today? The temptation right now is to kick back and say, well, when we build a new building or when we get more people, then everything will be wonderful and everything will be easier. No, all we can guarantee is that everything will be different when that happens. And if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing in June of 2018, there's a pretty good chance we won't be doing what we're supposed to be doing in the future either. Yesterday's the past, and tomorrow is the future. Today is a gift, and that's why they call it the present. So, before today is over, ask yourself, what are you supposed to be doing with this present you've been given? How will you make a difference in the life of your family, your church, and yourself today? Will tomorrow be better or worse or simply the same because of our actions today? It's a good question to ask. You say, I can't do it. Whatever it is, it's too tough. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Whatever God wants you to do today is only for today. So whatever it is that you're thinking is too tough for you to do, if you can just do it today. Robert Stevenson said, Anyone can carry his burden, however hard, until nightfall. Anyone can do his work, however hard, for one day. Anyone can live sweetly, patiently, lovingly, purely, until the sun goes down. And this is all that life really means. There's a lot of truth in the adage of taking life one day at a time. Well, in case you haven't figured out, I've talked about the past and I've talked about the present. I couldn't conclude this message today with telling all of us that Nineveh not only had a past, not only did they have a present, but they had a future. I hope everybody's listening today. I have a feeling that some have tuned me out. I see people on their phones and doing Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. You're missing a glorious opportunity right now. If you had been living in Nineveh when Noah was preaching, you would have perished under God's judgment because you're not listening. I hate to be so harsh here right now, but put your phones down. I'm not going to be but about another five, ten minutes. You can, you can make it. You can live. It's going to be tough. But you can go another ten minutes without Facebook and staring in your face. I'm glad I got one, buddy. I got one. I'm making progress. I've got one. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's the first response I've gotten to that. Woo! It wasn't long. After Nahum wrote this short book, that Assyria and its capital city had been overrun by the armies of Babylon, and the city of Nineveh was destroyed. In passing this morning, there's a lot of people that believe, there's a lot of commentators that believe, that Jonah knew this day was coming, and that's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because he knew that one day they were going to come and destroy the people of God, and they did. But now this time, Nineveh is being destroyed. Assyria became nothing more than a mention in the pages of history. There's still an Israel, but Assyria as a nation has not existed for some 2,500 years. However, there's an interesting footnote in all of this. While Assyria as a nation has disappeared, where some people who hung on to their culture within Babylon and settled at the base of the Kurdish mountains. A small ethnic minority of Assyrians, with all the hype over Iraq over the past number of years, you've heard many... Uh, have you heard of any references to a Christian church in Iraq? To be honest with you, I didn't know one existed until several years ago. 
If you've been paying attention, you'll discover that there is a Christian minority in the country of Iraq. And for all of the villainization of Saddam Hussein, it is believed that he was more religious tolerant in Iraq than any other Muslim country. So you may wonder where that church came from. If there's a church in Iraq, where did it come from? Who established it and when? British missionaries, perhaps, or North American missionaries? Nope, that's not the answer. Actually, it is one of the oldest Christian communities in the world. In 70 A.D., the message of Christ came to that little ethnic minority living at the foot of the Kurdish mountains, and they embraced it. And for over 2,000 years, they have continued as a church. And I think that's pretty cool. It only bewails the point that I'm making here today. We can't change our past, but through our decisions today, we can change our future and the future of others. No guarantees, though. Remember what Yogi Berra said. It's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. Today is simply yesterday's tomorrow. Do you ever marvel at how quickly the present becomes the future? How quickly tomorrow becomes today? It's like wondering why a Frisbee gets larger the closer it comes and then hits you in the face. As much as we all have a present and a past, we all have a future. And while you can't live there, you can certainly dream about what it would be like and start putting steps in place today to see to it that those dreams become a reality. I'm trying to preach to somebody today that there is a path forward no matter where you're living today. Again, the psalmist said, Thy word is a lamp to my feet. It tells me where I'm at. It's a light to my pathway. And it tells me where I'm going. We plan for our financial security for the future. We plan for our children's future. And we're very careful to make sure that they, have a, that they have good grades and learn to do and, and be all the things necessary in preparation for tomorrow. But what about their spiritual warfare? Have you thought about where you want to be spiritually in the next year or the next five years? What about the spirituality of your children? Jesus asked his disciples in Luke chapter 9, and how often, or excuse me, how do you benefit? How do you benefit, Jesus asked. If you gain the whole world, but lose or forfeit your own soul in the process. Are you investing in your spiritual future? What about your kids? Are you investing in their spiritual future? Do you provide your kids Christian music to listen to? Do you provide them Christian books to read? Do you teach them through your example at church and that Christ is the most important relationship they'll ever have? Because if it's only an afterthought to you, do you think of how much less it will mean to them when they become an adult. I'm going to stop and say this again. I say it often, but again, very few people listen. Very few people listen. Moms and dads, your job is not your priority. It's a priority, but it's not the priority. If you worked at your job and became owner of the company and retired a multimillionaire and lose your soul, you haven't accomplished one thing. Y'all on board with that? I feel like John the Baptist right now, a lone voice in the wilderness. 
your relationship with Christ and your your responsibility to do everything in your power to see to it that your kids have a relationship with Christ is your absolute top priority. God's not an option. The Bible is not an option. Church is not an option. The things of God are not like a restaurant where you go and pick what you want off the menu. It's the whole book. It's the whole, the whole thing. Does everybody understand that? It is good preaching. Parents, here's the bottom line. If your kids grow up and win a Nobel Prize, if they become incredibly successful and wealthy and can support you in your old age but don't know Jesus, then they will have succeeded in this life but failed miserably for eternity. And no... You can't make that decision for them, but you can make it easier for them to make that decision when the time comes. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. I'm glad to tell you that I'm glad to preach here today with all confidence that our church has a future. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I'd have walked away a long time ago. But I believe in the future of Grace Church. Yes, I see guys becoming a reality. Guys is, means giving up your seat. I see that's becoming a reality. I see the new church dorms at the campground. I see a new sanctuary right over here to my left, and I see our kids and student ministry growing and thriving, and yes, I see Hispanic work here, and yes, we have a future. God has turned this message through the course of this message, and I've tried to tailor as I've gone along here, but God wants this to be a little more personal today and not just for our church. As much as we all have a past, we all have a future. And regardless of what your past has been, there is a way forward. There's a path to God. Somebody said one time that after hearing somebody say, I feel so far from God, actually you've never been more closer to God in your life because God awareness makes you closer to Him. So it doesn't matter if you've not served God for the past 50 years. When you start thinking about Jesus, it just brings Him right into your life. He's that close immediately. So we've all had our share of the past, but we have a present to give to our future. And I'm asking everybody here today, people have been so kind in their, your warm wishes and congratulations and what, whatnot about being here for 25 years. And I'm looking forward to the next 25. I'll be like 86 or something, 76, whatever, 86. Who knows? I've known of pastors pastoring in their 80s. Who knows? It might be another 25 if you can stand it. But I'm pretty comfortable right now with the future of Grace Church. Where I worry is about some of you on a personal level about your future. What are you going to do with today in reference to tomorrow? Are you going to continue the same path you're on? Or do you want to change that path to a more positive direction, a more Godward direction? We started here with this church in shambles. Sister Alexander can tell you that. Cassie Crochet can tell you that was in shambles when we came here. Let me tell you something about God. I've been thinking about a song. Uh, I asked Brother Dave to preach the weekend of our anniversary service, and I was sat there amazed listening to him preach because he preached almost the same message that I preached here on the first night we tried out for this church over 25 years ago. I found those notes yesterday. But I concluded that sermon 
Sister Alexander, that Friday night in Baker, the first night we tried out, there was about maybe 10 or 15 people there. I preached a message titled, He's Built a New House for You. Let me tell you something about God. In all of the trial, and I'm working on a message, and y'all can't have it. This is my thought. <clears throat> but in all the trial and tribulation that the nation of Israel has been through, they still were successful. Solomon took them on a path and built them a temple. Y'all remember that? But then they started declining after that. And they backslidden, and they rejected the Messiah, and we get all of that. But they've never abandoned the site for that temple that hit me yesterday. You think you've been hurt? And you're bitter because bad things happen in your life? Look at the nation of Israel. They're still at that wailing wall every day praying for their Messiah to come back and nobody's been mistreated worse than they have. But the interesting thing to me is that they've never abandoned their temple site because they understand that no matter what the past has been like, God can tear it down and build something new on the same site. That's what we miss. I don't know if Joan Ewing had that revelation when she wrote the song years ago that Brother Merle used to sing. He's built a new house for you on the same site where the old one used to be. And what we don't understand and what we can't get through our head is that God gets done with me and God can't use me and we're done with our purpose and we're done with value and I've done a horrible thing or I've done horrible things and God just has no more use and I don't fit anywhere. You don't understand. There's a nation on the other side of the globe that has clung and fought and men have bled and died over a temple site that they still believe their Messiah is coming back one day and he's going to build them another temple on that site. If God can do that for them, then why can't he do that for you? I don't believe God is done with anyone here today. There's not a person I can point to and say, Ethan, God don't need you anymore. You just soon leave and never come back. I can't say any of that. I can't say that to anybody. We have a trophy here today that represents that. Phil Elwood walked away from God however many years ago. Didn't serve God. Didn't serve God, didn't darken a church door outside of once in a while on Easter or a funeral or a wedding. Walked back in here and right down there. God rebaptized him with the Holy Ghost in less than five seconds. And he's been under reconstruction ever since. Why? Because God don't give up on people and he can take your old broken sinful deceitful lying rebellious stealing robbing whatever you want to put in that blank life and make a new creature I'm finished I'm, I'm, I'm trying to quit I, this is what happens when pastor don't preach in a long time you got to make up for it all at once but I'm done with this point. I was riding through Livingston Parish this past week, or last week, excuse me, week before last. And I drove by a house, and I recognized it had the name of the builder out in front of it, and I know him. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Actually, it was this past Friday. And I looked, and there was a house in front, right in front of the house that was under construction. It had a slab poured and what have you, it's close to where you live. There's a slab poured right behind, off to the side of a house sitting on that side, and it, it just it looks funny. And it occurred to me when I looked close, the house out in front is vacant and empty, and it probably flooded. And so what they're doing, rather than abandon their property, 
They're just going to build a new house on that property and start all over again. And knowing what God had laid on my heart today, something just rose up on the inside of me. We took that little church in Baker, and it was in shambles. And we filled that building up and finally moved here, and we're on the verge of filling this one up. I'm not going to let the past dominate my future. I'm trying to give somebody hope here today. Whatever it is you've done, God can tear all that down and build a new house, build a new you, build a new person. As they begin to sing softly, I want to invite everybody, because there may be people that don't want to come because personal feelings, and that's okay. So if everybody comes, you can feel comfortable coming with them. But I'm going to ask everybody to come just stand around the front. I say this often from the pulpit, and I say it, I feel like a broken record sometimes. But it ain't over. I just don't believe it's over. As long as the grace of God is in this world, it ain't over. As long as the presence of the Lord is here, it ain't over. As long as God is still blessing people, it ain't over. Y'all come on up here. Y'all, y'all know what to do. This ain't the first time we've done this. But I want God to start reconstruction on somebody today. Don't give up hope on your dreams. Don't give hope on, on your family. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on tomorrow. Don't give up on the job. Don't give up on relationships. Don't give up on all of that because there's still a God and He's real and His name is Jesus and He knows how to step into the lives of people and start rebuilding again. As they sing softly, everybody across the front of the building, would you lift your hands heavenward right now? Would you lift your hands heavenward right now? And let's talk to the Lord. Everybody talk to the Lord for a few moments. Everybody talk to Jesus right now, would you? I believe somebody needs to have a God moment here today. Somebody needs to have a God moment here today. Would you talk to Him? Would you talk to the Lord? You can come to the altar. You can open your heart. You can open your mind. Because God's open to you right now. God's open to you right now. Everybody talk to Jesus right now. Everybody talk to Jesus.